You're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Do you want to speak with confidence and authority, have more influence, and get bigger and better results? Whether you're a top executive, an entrepreneur, or climbing the career ladder, this is the show for you. The leader who wants to inspire others and leave a lasting legacy. Now here's your host, world-renowned TEDx speaker, author, and executive communication coach, Dr. Laura Sokola. Welcome to the podcast, Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, your host, founder of Vocal Impact Productions and author of Speaking to Influence, Mastering Your Leadership Voice. Today, we continue my panel discussion with Rachel Jones and Nikkel King on lessons we can learn as leaders from the communication legacy of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., In part one, we explored some of his trademark strategies that made him so effective as a communicator. We also debunked the common and often self-destructive fallacy of thinking that simply speaking your truth is the same as effective communication. And we even talked about karaoke, if you can believe it. You can hear all that and more in part one in episode 139 of Speaking to Influence. And now, part two of my panel discussion with Rachel Jones and Nikkel King, on leadership communication lessons from Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. I want to draw attention in particular, and then, Nikkel, I want your input on this. I think the most important thing that you've mentioned more than once in this explanation, uh, Rachel, and we often forget to explicitly establish this for ourselves first, is what is the outcome that you want from this conversation? That's right. How do you want this person to respond? And what do you want them to say? What do you want them to do? How do you want them to receive what you're saying? Start there Mm -hmm. and then decide how to do it. Because if you want them to say, yes, I totally get it, but you're going to call them every name in the book in the process, they're probably (laughs) going to be a little less receptive somehow and more likely to deviate from the path that you were hoping the conversation was going to take. So thank you so much for reminding us about starting with the end in mind. What response do you want from your audience? Pick that first, plug that into your GPS, and then identify the route to get there. Nikkel, your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, Rachel hit the nail on the head, right? At the end of the day, when we're talking about leadership and we're talking about influence and we're talking about impact, it's going to be very hard to accomplish that if you demoralize people and if you make people feel isolated. I think that there are many different ways that you can communicate in a way where you can make your point and you can have people walk out of a room and still have some dignity, right? I think to your point about emotional maturity, one of the things I've learned, you know, when you talk about like just the adult learner, right? is a lot of this goes back to how we learn as children and and how adults learn. And I find that when we are lashing out and when we are having these moments of breakdown, and in some cases, it's an emotional tantrum, right? It's something happened to you. You don't like what happened. And now you're going to use your power to lash back out at someone. What it shows is that you you haven't developed the maturity to really formulate the words to properly communicate what it is that you're thinking and what it is that you're feeling. And I'm finding in my mature mid-40s stage of life that I am learning these things. I am relearning these things. And I think it's so critical and it's so important in positions of power, in positions of leadership, in positions of influence 
is that we've all got to grow up a little bit, right? And we can be authentic and we can be all those things. But at the end of the day, we want to be respectful. We want to be professional. And we want to make sure that we help people to maintain their dignity in the process. Yes. Yes. 100%. And Nikel, is there a particular area or lesson learning from Dr. King that you've worked on learning to model? Yeah. You know, I think this is a really interesting question for me because I have been so super introspective lately as I'm continuing to grow personally and continuing to grow professionally. And I'm finding that this introspection for me has led me on a really interesting journey, I think over the last two plus years. I don't know where I learned this from, and I got to be a little bit more introspective about this piece of it, but I don't know where I learned along the way that as a minority in spaces of leadership, whether that's being an only woman or being an only person of color in these spaces of leadership and in corporate spaces, where I learned to just be complicit, right? Put your head down, go to work. Let your work speak for itself and all these other things will kind of line up for you, right? Success, you know, earnings, respect, all these things. And the truth is they don't, right? Like when you are not an active participant in change and you are complicit with things that you know in your heart and in your soul are not right, you're not participating in change. And so for me, a lot of it has been to really dig deep within myself and to find the courage to really speak out in situations where I'm not being complicit. So I'll give you a couple of examples, right? Yeah. What do you mean by complicit? Yeah. So one of the things that that you'll find in the tech space is people of color and women are underrepresented, right? When you look at the two boxes of being a woman and being a woman of color, like you can rarely, rarely find one of us, right? It's very much a unicorn scenario. And I have found that there are scenarios where we talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion, but, you know, companies don't model it. And so I'll give you a recent example where we were preparing for a big global meeting to partner with uh, one of our, our customers. And one of the things that we're looking to do is to make sure that we are representing diversity, equity, and inclusion in the fabric of everything that it is that we're doing. And we're preparing for this big meeting. And I noticed, you know, in this panel that we are preparing for is there's all older white men on the panel. And I'm thinking, okay, who's going to call this out? Who's going to call this out? Who's going to call this out, right? Like, I don't want to always have to be the one person of color or the only woman to say, hey, here's a little bit of a different perspective, right? Here's how we can accomplish what we're trying to accomplish, but we can also lean into these other areas of diversity, equity, and inclusion that we're looking to model as well. And so, you know, I was at war with myself, at war with myself about it. And as we were sort of wrapping up that talking point, you know, I just sort of said, hey, listen, I want to add a bit of a different perspective here. And I talked about the fact that, hey, it would really be great for us 
as we are looking to, you know, really showcase diversity, equity, and inclusion to identify resources for this particular panel where we can have women represented. We have many women that we can tap into from a data perspective, right? And a person of color, right? And so I was really happy to see that it was welcomed, it was championed, but it could have been another situation for me where I walked away feeling like, man, there's nobody else, right, in the boat with me here. And so I think sometimes it's just finding the courage to be bold and to your point, Rachel, right, about emotional maturity. I mean, I could have had a total meltdown in that moment and said, see, here we go again, you know, <laughs> but finding the emotional maturity and the courage to say, let me add a bit of a different perspective. And it was welcome. So I think that's one. But I think the other piece of it also is I have found as a woman in technology that things could very easily skate to, you know, uh, male dominated activities. And so I found in my career, you know, a lot of the things that we have done to entertain, you know, customers or to build partnership with customers have been activities and they've been things that have been very much targeted for a male population. And so being okay with speaking up and saying, hey, listen, this doesn't necessarily work for me because of maybe I can't entertain late at night. I have small children that, you know, I take care of. I have to get them off to school in the morning. So being confident and courageous enough to say, hey, listen, this doesn't work for me. Is there something else that we can do here? Or to offer solutions and to offer other ideas that maybe would have never come across, you know, their thought process. And so I think it's just being courageous in spaces where you can really move the needle on change and not be complicit. I am finding that at this stage of life for me professionally and also personally, I am more comfortable with not speaking up. Like by not saying anything, like I have to, like, if there's something that just does not fundamentally sit right with me and it doesn't align with my value, it doesn't align with my vision, it doesn't align with my passion, that it is more uncomfortable for me to be silent about it than it is for me to actually speak up and say something. But I think it's one of the things that I've definitely learned from Dr. Martin Luther King, right, where he was not complicit. And I think in any space, whether he was at the highest, you know, level of speaking to a president in the Oval Office, right, or speaking to, you know, others that were not aligned with him as far as the movement was concerned, is that he was very bold and very direct at really speaking, I think, his truth and his perspective for what his vision was. Can I add something as um, you were talking, Mikkel, it occurred to me another perhaps core or, or linkage between what you're saying and, and the legacy of Dr. King is this inherent belief in the good of humanity. And what I mean by that is, you know, it takes boldness for sure to step out and say that this and call out that this thing is not right. It's injustice and injustice anywhere is a threat to injustice everywhere. Right. Like we know that's one of his core beliefs. But there's also hope requires that you think change is possible. And for change like that to occur, you have to believe in the inherent goodness or sort of humanity of people. 
And I think when I heard your story about at your organization with speaking up, because trust me, I can relate to saying, does anyone not see that health equity requires other folks who are not like the same <laughs> on the panel? So I totally get that. You had courage in that moment to speak up. But I also think you had a level of maybe psychological safety or a sense of believing that the company that you chose to work with inherently was good. And I think that belief, when folks become jaded and folks become, you know, sort of apathetic and give up hope is because they stop believing in the inherent goodness of, of others. And that to me is more sad than being complicit. It's sort of the giving up the hope piece. And nobody can tell for sure, of course, in any individual situation, when there is or isn't that kind of emotional safety, of course, that we always mm -hmm. want there to be that. But it is worth, I think, taking a step back and just asking ourselves in any given moment, you know, should I give this person the benefit of the doubt right. that they have positive intent? They may be oblivious to something. They may have been clumsy in something. They may be whatever it happens to be, but that if I, and this goes right back, Rachel, to your point about using emotional intelligence and emotional maturity and all those kinds of things that as long as I frame this in a way that doesn't say, hey, old white dude, you know, you're clearly missing the, you know, we, <laughs> but if we are giving them the benefit of the doubt that of course they want what's best for the company, of course they're on this program because they at least espouse a particular value. So if you want to help them achieve the execution of that value, then to offer them a suggestion of, you know, what I've noticed, perhaps mm -hmm. we should do a little bit more of this, you know, wouldn't it be, this is good. Wouldn't it be even better? And I think the word even is a four letter word that is often undervalued and mm -hmm. a, a missed opportunity. The difference between saying that's good, this is better versus that's good. What would be even better is this, right? You're giving them the benefit of the doubt that they're trying their best and it may genuinely be. Yeah, regardless of how good it actually is, yeah. but to give them the benefit of the doubt that you can create a little bit more of that safety by the way that you offer your suggestion to make it safe for everybody. Yeah. And I think, you know, that emotional safety piece is real. And I think you're right, Rachel. I think, you know, perhaps in some instances, right, I have develop more courage over time because there is emotional safety. However, I would also say, and this is where I'm, I'm literally starting to see the growth, right, in my own self from a professional perspective, is even in spaces where there is no emotional safety, right? Like, I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to say, hey, because there are instances, right, where Perhaps you met, you know, met with a microaggression or met with another scenario that is not as safe, right? Where you have to be able to say, hey, listen, I didn't feel supported here or I felt attacked here or let me help you to understand what you did and what that actually means to me, right? And that is important because I think that is how we truly become partners in the spaces in which we are looking to influence. Otherwise, the behaviors continue. Otherwise, you know, the systematic injustices, right, continue. And we continue to be complicit in these spaces because we are afraid to speak up. And so I think it shows, I think, maturity from a courage perspective as well. It's nice to feel that safety, but for me, I think that it's also really important in spaces where I don't feel protected and I don't feel safe to still call it out in a way that 
my message can be heard and what I'm saying is resonating with the people that I'm talking to, even if they don't agree with it, because they don't have to, to agree with it, right? I think that we all come from different backgrounds, different experiences. And to your point, I think certain things may not even be on the radar of some people just based on their experiences. And so it takes people like the three of us, right, to really call it out and to say, hey, here's how I felt. Here's how that impacted me. And here's how I think we could potentially handle this in the future. Yes. And I think we can do that because there's leading from the front and there's also leading from behind. You don't have to be in the power position to be able to lead. Managing up is the common phrase. So sometimes to help create that emotional safety for everybody, it can be starting with a statement of assumption of the benefit of the doubt. Like, I'm, I'm sure you didn't mean this to come across in any way, but helpful, you know, but when you use words like this, an unintended result is it tends to feel this way. I'm sure you didn't mean that, but, and it can, so uh, there's a million things and we can have a whole separate show on the actual tactics and framings and things to do that. But we can go down the rabbit hole into all these areas. And I think one other little detail in there just to be mindful of is emotional safety is not a black and white term. Right. There are all sorts of degrees of it. And my definition of safety and yours may be totally different and have nothing to do with DEI related issues. I know plenty of people, lots of clients come to me because they don't speak up mm-hmm. in meetings. They are uncomfortable proactively participating. They will speak when spoken to. They will answer questions when addressed. They will present when they've been told in advance, ideally, that they're going to be expected to present something. But otherwise, they stay back silent because they don't want to take the risk of being wrong, the risk of saying something that somebody else is going to shoot down or disagree with or whatever. So their sense of safety is at such a lower threshold than someone like, I sense the three of us, who are much more comfortable just putting in our 12 cents, uh, as the case may be, from from time to time. So we really have to take into account the notion of what it requires to feel safe in any context and then work from there. I agree that we as individuals need to understand our boundaries and, and thresholds for emotional safety and have the courage, as Mikkel just pointed out, that even when it's not safe, you are emboldened to speak up. However, I believe that a core tenet of leadership and any organization who calls itself having leaders need to be taking on the umbrage of creating and modeling what that looks like. If I'm in an organization and I see in meetings where it's only one person allowed to speak, I know that my time there is not going to be long, right? Because I know that that they're never going to model the behavior for, even if it's not me, my peers, my, you know, other folks in the team, it becomes to the point where you don't have other ideas and other voices in the room, you're going to actually hurt the business. And I think, so it, part of it is the organization that needs to model that. I think we model that as leaders and we model that at home too, in creating opportunities for our children and our children's children and our neighbors and friends to feel safe to speak up. I think it's a culture that we have to start to really be aware of and model because we have too many silent soldiers who, you know, they they all feel it's wrong. Like we shouldn't do this, right? We shouldn't do this. And the work of the conversation or now in the Zoom world, the Zoom chat conversation is this is not right. But no one speaks up. And if you're if you're not creating that culture that it's okay to speak up, even if it's the unpopular opinion, 
I don't know if, if we are going to be able to call ourselves successful leaders if we don't model that behavior and don't, don't create those spaces for open sharing. Absolutely. I say it's a shared responsibility, right? Yeah. Corporation and individual. Yeah. Individual. Yeah. It, it's a shared responsibility. Yes. Among all. And hopefully we'll, lots of people will get newly inspired and newly encouraged to take up some of that yoke and, and take the uncomfortable steps from now on for themselves and for others as well. Real short. Okay. Here's my lightning wrap up question for each of you. How do you keep your inspiration tank full when you're the one spearheading the new movement? What do you do? Give me a real quick answer. What's something that we can take from you? Would you like me to go first? Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> As you wish. Sure. Well, it's, the timing is perfect because it's a new year. And so every new year allows us a chance to sort of have that, you know, introspection and, and think about how we're going to, A, what do we want to accomplish? And B, how we're going to you know, make sure we can sustain that energy throughout the year. I'm reading Michelle Obama's book right now, A Light We Carry. And she talks about the burden of being first. And sort of the shadow burden that we carry if you're other, if you're different, if you're in spaces that perhaps you're not welcome or you're the first of your kind to occupy that space, there can be a burden that comes with that. And there can be a certain heaviness that that drains you, right? And to the point around keeping your inspiration tank full, you said it in the beginning, Laura, inspiration is breathing life. And so I look for ways to breathe life back into me. For me, that looks like my miracle morning routine. Everyone who knows me knows I'm a big fan of that space in the morning that's mine to meditate, to get quiet, to work out, to journal and read and really just pour into me the things that are necessary to give me life for the day. And the other way of filling my tank is through connection with others. I am, I, number three strength is connector. If you're familiar with Clifton Strengths Finder. And so whenever I can connect with others, be it a Zoom, be it a in-person connection, be a time with my family and my friends, that fills me up because it's allowing me to also exercise my love language of service. And so whenever I can give service to others and connect with others in an authentic way, there's that word again, that definitely fills me up. Love it. Nikel? Yeah, I love that you sort of called out this time of year, Rachel, right? Because I agree. I think it's a really awesome time to like reset and to recalibrate and to be hopeful and to be inspired about all the things that you want to accomplish. I would also say it's an interesting time for those who celebrate Kwanzaa, right? Like we just closed out Kwanzaa yesterday and you know, there's a couple of principles, I think, in the celebration of Kwanzaa, Ujima, for example, right? Collective work and responsibility. When you talk about Kumba, which is creativity, these principles are really rooted in our responsibility to use our talents and to use our resources to leave our communities in a better space and a better place than in which we found them. And so this is a directive that for those of us who celebrate Kwanzaa, take on as a responsibility from our ancestors. And so when I think about growing weary in the process of influence and growing weary in the process of the work that I am trying to accomplish, I really kind of I lean back on those principles because I recognize that 
I recognize that I am my ancestors' wildest dreams, right? That's number one. My ancestors were fighting for things that are really normalcies for us right now, right? They're no longer, you know, things that we're we're fighting for. And so the fact that I even have the opportunity to sit in a boardroom daily, right, with executives making really big decisions and solving really big problems in the world and coupling that with technology, we wouldn't have even been allowed on the campuses of some of these organizations and these corporations. And so I look at from whence we've come and the progress that we've made. And I know that the legacy that I am building, to be honest with you, I will probably not live long enough to really see the fruits of my labor. And so for me, it really is about really making that connection with the progress that we've made. But I think more tactically to Rachel's point is I look at my daily energy as almost like a tank. And I agree with you, right? The work that we do is not, is not easy work. And so making sure that I am pouring into that tank and I am filling that tank every day with something that is going to really help me from a development perspective, from a leadership perspective, from an inspiration perspective, from a motivation perspective, so that when I do run up against these struggles, my tank is full enough where I can say, okay, all right, let me brush that off and let me, let me keep going. But you can't work from an empty tank. And you can't work in a depleted sort of fashion. And so that meditation and that surrounding yourself with other people of like minds who are walking the same walk, who share the same vision, who align with, you know, your values and the work that it is that you're looking to accomplish are so important to make impact on, on your journeys. So yeah, we, we, we share those philosophies, Rachel. I love that. Forest power. <laughs> yes. I love the image of being your ancestor's wildest dream. And also mm-hmm. you know, that it's important that we bear in mind, they didn't, not all of them live to see mm-hmm. what they have manifested in you. Yeah. And we also, I think, need to bear in mind that we won't live to see the fruits. R- Rachel, you mentioned earlier, the ripple effect and in the legacy will never see all the fruits of our labor and knowing that, you know, I forget who it was that said, even if you can't see the harvest you reap, you plant the seeds. Mm-hmm. And, That's right. You know, your legacy makes it a little bit easier for the next person. I mean, Susan B. Anthony never saw the passage of the, of the amendment for women's suffrage. She dreamed it. She worked on it for decades, but she died before it actually became law. But her legacy lives on today. But that's the definition of legacy, right? Is that you are planting seeds for trees that you will probably never get to see grow. Never see. Yeah. So there you go, everyone. And it's that hope. It's (laughs) that hope again, right? It's that full circleness of the hope. So this is so good. Perfect. Look, I can't find a better way to bring it back full circle to the beginning than that, Rachel. So I want to thank both of you. So I have taken pages of notes in this conversation. Um, I hope you've had as much fun as I have. And thank you so much for being part of this such important conversation. Thank you. Thank you. This has been awesome. Tell us, how can people learn more about you and your organization, Nikel? Oh, well, 
first of all, everyone knows Google, right? So you can Google it. That's number one. But number two, I think in order to connect with me directly, you can find me on LinkedIn at Nikkel King, N-I-K-E-L-L-E-K-I-N-G. It's really that simple. And be sure if you do reach out to Nikkel to connect that you tell her specifically that you heard her interview here, not just some random, depersonalized, automated, hey, I want to connect with you. I don't know about you. I never respond to this. It's like, <laughs> why? Tell me. What? It's not like who, he who dies with the most connections wins. <laughs> so tell me why you want to connect, right? What's in it for me? Right. Authentic <laughs> connection. Correct. <laughs> yes. Yes. Valuable connections is the most important part. Rachel, how yes. can people learn more about you? Well, I don't have the Google Flex that my my girlfriend has, <laughs> but you can go to redesignhealth.com to learn about redesign and what we're building and all the different companies that we're building to change healthcare for the better. Personally, you can reach out to me also on LinkedIn, Rachel Jones, very simple. AEL though, don't forget the AEL. Rachel Jones on LinkedIn and always happy to have a conversation about this topic or any other topic in healthcare. That's my passion. Hopefully we can have you both back for some karaoke next time. I certainly yes. want a private concert, if nothing else. We will need so drinks we- for that, Laura. We don't <laughs> want to have dry karaoke. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Can't do dry karaoke. All right. Well, that'll be an offline conversation for when we're done exactly. with that. <laughs> and to everybody else who's tuning in to listen to this conversation, thank you for joining us once again. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And don't forget to give us a five-star rating on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and your platform of choice so that we can help even more people increase their confidence, presence, and influence. And finally, of course, if you want to download my free guide to equipment recommendations for virtual influence, including my picks for microphones, lights, and more, go to speakingtoinfluence.com. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, and you're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Laura Sokola, and I want to sincerely thank you for listening to the Speaking to Influence podcast. If you love listening to these episodes as much as I love bringing them to you, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And please go to iTunes right now to rate and review our podcast in order to help us expand our reach so even more people can master the three C's to command the room, connect with the audience, and close the deal. Thanks for listening to Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite, the show for leaders who want to speak with impact. The hosts, producers, owners, and media distributors of the show make no guarantees that the strategies and information discussed will result in profit or other success and may result in losses. The opinions and statements of the hosts and guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the owners, staff, managers, broadcasters, or sponsors of the show. No medical or psychological therapy or personal or professional wellness or relationship advice is offered in the show. You are advised to seek counsel on matters related to your health, family, relationships, job, or other business and legal matters from licensed advisors in those areas prior to making any changes in business or lifestyle. No information provided may be suitable in your situation. As always, take responsibility for the decisions and actions you take, including the reactions they may make in your work, family, health, and life.